0: Today we continue our Grown-Up VBS series that we're doing this summer, where each week we dive into a familiar childhood story of the Bible, hoping to come away with it with a grown-up understanding. So far we've explored the stories of Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, Moses, uh, last week David and Goliath, and today we come to the last story that we'll cover from the Old Testament in this series, Jonah. And I guess at this point, we better address the the blue whale in the room, or instead of the the pink elephant or the white elephant in the room, the the blue whale in the room. I promise I had nothing to do with it, but I, I fear if my sermon takes a wrong turn, this whale might swallow me and I'll have the same fate as Jonah. This morning, we're actually reading the entire book of Jonah in worship. You can go home today proud that you read an entire book of the Bible today. It's a great story, and one that is quick and to the point. I think it's helpful to, uh, personally, I think it's helpful to think of the story of, no, of Jonah as if it was a short musical. If we were to think of Jonah as a play or a musical, our first reading that, that um, Sandra, our liturgist, uh, read for us was essentially Act 1. Jonah receives the call from God to go to Nineveh to prophesy, and convince the people to repent, to turn back to God, Jonah, of course, flees and runs away to Tarshish. While on route, to the, to, um, he goes on the sea in a violent storm, threatens the lives of the entire crew, so Jonah instructs them to throw him overboard. And instead of sinking to the bottom of a violent and vast sea, God sends a fish to swallow up Jonah. Here ends Act 1. Chapter 2, which we read together as a responsive reading, is Jonah's prayer and his prayer from inside the belly of the fish or of the whale. And this sort of serves as a kind of interlude. Uh, Think of the big musical number before uh, intermission at at, uh, your favorite musical. Jonah gives thanks to God for God's mercy in saving him, delivering his life from the pit, that is the place of the dead, the place of despair. And it ends, the song ends with the fish spitting him up onto dry land. It would be at this point that the audience would go out to the lobby for intermission and come back to see how the story would unfold. But so often with this story, this right here is the end of our telling. It becomes a story of Jonah and, appropriately, many of us running away from God. There the story would end. But as Katie revealed in the children's sermon, there is a lot more to this story that isn't revealed until the second act, in these final two chapters. So friends, let's come back from intermission to see how the story of Jonah concludes. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the third chapter of Jonah, beginning with the first verse. The word of Jonah, the, wor- the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great city exceedingly large, a three-day's walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he, re- he rose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Let's pause here. Jonah hears the instruction one more time to go to Nineveh, and this time, having the experience of being in the belly of the fish, he knows better and decides to go. Jonah is listed among the prophets of the Old Testament. He's one of the 12 minor prophets, to be specific. But his actual prophecy in Scripture lasts only one verse, where he warns Nineveh, saying that they have 40 days before they are overthrown. Some scholars have even dubbed Jonah the anti-prophet, because one, he doesn't really want to do it, and two, he doesn't actually do a whole lot of prophesying. But Jonah's short prophecy proves successful. It proves success. If you're a baseball fan, he has one verse and it proves successful. He has a batting average of a thousand. The whole city, including the king, goes into a deep state of repentance, of fasting, of wearing sackcloth, of sitting in ashes, which are the traditional attire and and, uh, protocol for grief and remorse. Let's continue on together and see how God responds to Nineveh's repentance in verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Pause for just a second. God witnesses Nineveh's repentance. And the text even says God's mind was changed. Nineveh is spared because of Jonah's one-verse prophecy. You'd think at this point the story would be over and all ends happily ever after. But not with our anti-prophet Jonah. Our anti-hero Jonah. We finish the story with chapter 4 where we see Jonah's response. His response to God's grace for those in Nineveh. We begin with the first verse. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you were concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, in which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Friends, Jonah's upset, he's tired, he's puzzled, he's puzzled by God's grace, God's grace to the wicked people of Nineveh, even though he himself predicted God's mercy for them. What's ironic here, of course, is that Jonah is upset that God is gracious to the sinful Ninevites, even though he had just ran away from God and refused God's command and call to go to Nineveh. He was disobedient just like the Ninevites, yet in the belly of the fish he praises God's mercy. Jonah pleads with God about his purpose in all of this. He says, God, if you were going to save those Ninevites anyways, why drag me into all of this? He even pleads for God to take his life from him as he retreats to the eastern edge of the city waiting to see what will become of this once wicked community. In his hiding place, God provides a bush for shade and shelter for Jonah. Being out in the desert wilderness, Jonah liked this bush, the comforts that it brought. But as fast as this bush appeared, God let it wither away. Jonah's anger returns, and again we see him wish away his life. Friends, it seems pretty hard today not to hear and be sensitive to the mental health issues infused in the story. Jonah wishes for his life to end twice, and earlier in the story, he hurls himself off the boat, or at least has himself hurled off the boat into the sea. Many of us know someone personally who lives with such mental health struggles, And hearing a biblical character say these words is particularly jarring. If you or someone you know has thoughts of uh, uh, such thoughts of harm or distress, please know that you are not alone. Know that you are loved. There are numerous resources for those who are hurting. And I encourage you to please feel free to talk with me or, or to find a trained counselor to see. Uh, to, to provide some, some help and some, some, uh, some compassion for what you're going through. Jonah obviously needs help here, and, and since there were not um, mental health professionals in those days, we see God directly intervene, and God shows up right in this moment to provide some perspective. You could really say that the story of Jonah is a story about God's care for life. Jonah himself, while in the belly of the fish, says, You brought my life up from the pit. That is the place of darkness, of despair, even the place of death. God values the life of the 120,000 people in Nineveh, so God sends Jonah to prophecy so that it might be saved. God values Jonah's life, so God saves it several times throughout the story. After Jonah is willingly tossed from the boat, it says God provided a fish to swallow him, to save him from drowning. As Jonah is out in the desert wilderness, scorched from the sun, God provides a bush for shade and shelter. God cares for life, for each life, providing what is necessary to flourish. God really uses the bush here as a metaphor in the story. It's a metaphor for Nineveh, the city itself. But even bigger, it's a, it's a metaphor for how God distributes grace. Jonah didn't plant the bush or tend it, so why should he care that it's gone? In the same way, why should he care that God has chosen to show mercy to the people of Nineveh? A people God says do not know the right hand from their left. How does it affect Jonah? Jonah. Wasn't God also gracious to Jonah, even though he knew better and openly fled from God's command for him? In other words, who is Jonah to judge how God should distribute God's own grace and mercy? These questions we see dig and dig into Jonah, but they also dig into us as the readers. And they dig to this ultimate question. Who, in the end, really is deserving of God's grace and mercy? Are any of us? At its heart, friends, the story of Jonah is about God's abundant grace and mercy. And this grace and mercy extended to all. Even to our enemies. And even to those we believe do not deserve it. The early church really understood this and made lots of connections of Jesus' ministry to the story of Jonah. To me, the best example of this is in Jesus' ministry uh, when he tells the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. This is actually the story that's paired with um, with the parable. The story of Jonah is actually paired with this parable in the lectionary. In the parable, some laborers were hired at the beginning of the day, and the owner promised the daily wage, the usual daily wage, Then more were hired throughout the day, at each, uh, at mid-morning, noon, and so on, all the way to just before quitting time. When the day was done, the owner paid the latest workers first, those who just got there, and paid them the same usual daily wage. Of course, the workers who were there all day were upset, to which the vineyard owner says, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Did you notice that like this parable, the story of Jonah ends with a question? A question from God to Jonah, it sounds remarkably like this question in the parable, And it's a question in response to the metaphor about the bush, saying, should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the right hand from their left, and also many animals? Here ends the story. Here ends the entire book of Jonah. It appears unfinished. And it joins the ranks of other abrupt endings in the Bible, like the parable of the prodigal son, or the entire gospel of Mark. They end suddenly and abruptly. The story ends with Jonah still sulking, outside the city. It makes us wonder how he'll respond to this question. It seems to me there's good reason that the story ends so abruptly with the question. It challenges us to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, beckoning us to think about how we respond to God's grace and mercy for all, to ourselves, to others. How would we respond to that question? How do we respond to God's grace extended to all, even to those we feel do not deserve it? Friends, the story of Jonah reveals a God, a God who delivers us from the pit of darkness and provides and cares for life. It reveals a God who shows abundant mercy to us, an unmerited grace that's extended to all, a kind of grace that comes to fruition in Jesus Christ who befriended lepers and outcasts, who ate with tax collectors and others who were deemed to be sinful, those who were deemed to be beyond redemption. In fact, the last two stories in this Grown Up VBS series will be stories of Jesus doing just that, showing mercy and hospitality to two people who were deemed by their communities as unworthy of grace, the Samaritan woman at the well and the tax collector Zacchaeus. So friends, as we continue to wrestle with Jonah's question, may we seek to extend this grace to everyone in our lives and community, even and perhaps especially to those who have been deemed undeserving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.